Let's give all those folks a hand this morning. Amen. Wow. So glad to see each and every one of you this morning. Thank you, not just for those who came Friday and got everything set up, for those who served yesterday. We had an amazing, just a gauntlet these folks had to run through here. We had them lined up down the hall of the mall because it was raining outside, and we had so many people in beautiful serve shirts and great smiles, wishing them Merry Christmas and telling them how much Jesus loved them. Uh, probably the, the main story that I heard, and there was a number of them, there's a good half a dozen of these like this, but there was one that I was told, spoke with one of the ladies who was helping uh, get her, his four sons fitted, four little boys, and the gentleman left with tears in his eyes saying, I had just gotten laid off from my job. And if you guys hadn't done this, my children wouldn't have a new warm coat for, for Christmas this winter. And so I just want to say thank you, Victory, for all that you've done to give. Thank you, Jesus, for all you provided for us to give. Let's give each other, come on, everybody a hand. Amen. We, uh, we extended our time from 10 to 12 and late stayed till 1230, and we're packing everything up, and we still had people that were coming in. Um, basically to say, hey, you know, can we get a code? And we'd already put everything away, packed it back in boxes. And so we gave them our card, said, please call the church office this week. We'll set up an opportunity for you to come and bring your family and give you a private fitting and make sure that your children get coats. So we're, please spread it around the community. We have about uh, 75 or so, 77 coats left. And we believe we're going to be able to put all those on the, the back of a child. Uh, a lot of little smaller sizes, especially little girls, uh, the coats. We had a bunch of guys this year, young men. Last year was the opposite. You never really know what to prepare for and who's coming. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for all that you've done so that we could bless the community that way. I want to ask you if you would please once more stand this morning. It's been a great time in the presence of the Lord. Uh, just to, want to thank the praise team for all you guys do to help us provide an environment where we create an atmosphere where people can, out of a hungry heart, begin to seek the presence, the face of God. And the scripture says that God is drawn to that. Come before his presence with singing. Thank you is the password into his presence is what we learned in our Thanksgiving message. The Bible says in Psalm 22 verse 3, but you are holy, O Lord, you dwell in the praises of your people. And so though we can't do anything to manipulate, we can't say if we'll do one, two, three, the presence of God will come. What we can certainly do is get everybody positioned under the spout so if God turns on the spigot that we're available and ready. Amen? Okay. So today, let's read this word together. It's, uh, we have two passages, one promise found in Isaiah 55, and then we're going to go to the New Testament and read a couple of verses there. Let's, let's find a screen where it's comfortable for you to see and read with me, please. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Be aggressive now. Answer the question, who's speaking here? Through, the Lord is talking. He's, he's speaking through Isaiah who's prophesying that says, every time God speaks, he's going to declare a word that has the power to bring back the desired effect of that word. It won't come back empty. It's not a promise that'll be broken. It's a promise that's going to be made and kept. It's going to prosper in the purpose to which he sent it. It's going to come back multiplied, okay? Let's go now to the New Testament book of Luke. Luke, the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, this, read with me. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Bow your hearts with me, please, this morning for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that you're the giver of all life, that you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Even as the Apostle Paul prayed and said, give and grant a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Lord, we thank you that you have a hope. You have a hope for us. You have a hope in Christ. Thank you that you've invited us to be a part of the family of God and that our story has been swept up into and written into the larger story of Jesus. Thank you for the word that we're about to see today. Holy Spirit of God, you're the only teacher. I just confess before you and everyone under the sound of my voice that I'm utterly dependent upon you. I cannot do anything apart from you. But Lord, I'm thankful today that I'm not apart from you, that you're in me and with you I can do all things through you, with you, by your power, by your strength. Uh, I can accomplish what you've called me to do. Get in the middle of this, Holy Spirit. Challenge us, change us, lead us and guide us. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Last Sunday we began the Advent series which always is associated with five big themes, five big ideas. Everybody say hope, love, joy, peace, and light. Those five themes, hope, love, joy, peace, and light, are the themes that we are bringing this series called Promise to you. Last Sunday, we talked about the expectation of something. God has a hope. His first judicial act pronouncement after going on a hunt to seek Adam and Eve who were hiding from him in the garden because of their disobedience. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day, the scripture says in Genesis 3. And God called out and said, Adam, where are you? And you know, I don't believe that anytime God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. How many of you know God had a specifically accurate GPS tracking system? He knew right in the garden where Adam was. I believe it was a relational question. Adam, where are you with me? Something's not right, Adam, because we've walked together. We've walked together in the spirit of the day, in the cool of the day, in this garden that I created and set you down as the crown of my creation. Gave you this amazing woman, man with a womb, woman. The Bible says from Adam's side, his rib, he built. Eve was built, baby. And when Adam looked at her, he said, whoa. (laughs) And I believe the way every husband should perceive and see and with admiration and with love and cherishing his wife, Adam did. And you know the story, you know what took place in the garden. It's the original sin. It's the 
high treason of Adam and Eve, the disobedience against the commandment of God. God basically said, everything here is yours. It's just as far as you can see, as, as deep and wide as you possibly can imagine. This amazing plethora of fruit and vegetables and trees and animals and everything that whatever is your heart's desire, this is here for you. But I have one thing that's mine, says the Lord. That one tree right there, I want you to leave it alone. Let everything else be. You can have all of this other, but leave that one alone. And you know, they disobeyed. It was the high treasonous act. It wasn't because the fruit was magical. It wasn't a, a ripe red apple and the juice that ran down off of Eve's chin and sharing a piece with Adam necessarily that brought the curse. It was the act of disobedience. They disobeyed God and God came searching for them because they were hiding. They'd covered themselves, which anytime any of us are in sin, we do these same things. We follow that same pattern. We try to sew religious fig leaves together and make our works really look good. And we hide behind all of these religious activities and we hide, try to hide among the trees of the garden. And God calls for us and says, where are you? What's, what's up? What's, what's going on? Because something doesn't feel right between us. Where are you in relationship to me? And on the spot, God pronounced judgment. His first judicial decree was a, a, a curse on the serpent and a curse on Eve and a curse on Adam and a curse on the whole created order, the whole ground. And you remember last week that we talked about in the middle of that, God gave a seed kernel, a promise, the protovangel. And it's called the first gospel. It was in that spot and on that place that God made a promise to Adam's race. And he said, the seed of this woman literally will bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. He will bruise the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise this seed. The seed is coming. This Yeshua HaMashiach, this Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God, our Savior, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. All of these prophecies that we discussed last week, the why, the what, the who, the when, the how, the where, everything God had actually given provision, prophesied, told before time that this one who was coming he told us how he was going to get here, when he was going to come, where he was going to be born, the specific time and the place. All of this began with a promise, and a promise is a big word. A promise is something that either makes something else or it breaks something else. You can be a promise keeper or you can be a promise maker. A promise breaker is what I meant to say. You can make one and you can keep it, or you can make one and you can break it. And God's made a promise to mankind. And I want to tell you that God is not a covenant breaker. God is a covenant keeper. He keeps his promise. He's a God of integrity. He says that every time a word goes out of my mouth, it will not come back empty or void, but it will accomplish that for which I've sent it, and it will prosper even. It will succeed in the thing to which I've sent it to do. Into this story this morning, we are moving from up the promise that is in the stage of hope, and it's moving into fulfillment. The title of the message today is called Love's Fulfillment of Promise. For God so loved that he, what? That he gave. Timothy and Sherrod Diffie shared this morning as our Advent family and did a beautiful job just sharing how much the love of God has been revealed in their hearts and how they think of love for each other and love for their own child and how that can it just pales in comparison to the love of God in giving his son. And God loved you so much. He loved the world so much that he gave his son. And Jesus loved the father so much that he agreed to come and to give himself. Mark 
The central verse of the Gospel of Mark says it this way, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many of you know you were kidnapped by the enemy and Jesus came and he paid the ransom for you? Come on, put your hands together. Let's give him some praise. Ransomed us. He redeemed us. He bought us back. And the cost of that price, the ransom, was the blood of his son. It was more precious than that of gold and silver and diamonds and every fine thing that the earth or the world can even compare to. It is of inestimable value. But this thing is moving now from hope to love. And it's no longer crying out from the sages and the saints and the prophets and the seers saying, the seed is coming, the seed is coming, the seed is coming. But now we've entered into a whole new season and the seed is not just coming, but the seed is about to manifest. He's here at this point in history. And we open up the Bible today to the passage that we read in Luke's gospel chapter one and we see some crazy things happening that that are indescribable because they just don't happen every day in history. And if you look at Luke chapter one with me, we have a couple of scenarios that you wonder how they could possibly have anything to do one with the other. I have seven principles that I want to give you this morning, and the first one is this. Number one, it is a season of miracles. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a season for miracles. I I feel sorry for the person that is bought into the idea that miracles have ceased. Uh, Albert Einstein, who said this uh, decades ago, he said, you live life two ways. You live life as if nothing is a miracle, or you live life as if everything is a miracle. You know what? I, I, I choose B. I woke up this morning in my right mind. I woke up this morning, I have breath in my lungs, and the sun is still shining, even though it's through the clouds. And it was the craziest thing that happened is I left my neighborhood this morning, and I'm coming down 77. There's just this huge cloud cover that was just over the whole area. And right there, straight into me, I'm traveling due east. I'm pointed toward the Memphis skyline. I'm right there in front of Elite Tire and Automotive, and the clouds literally break, and this huge beam of sunshine shines so bright right into the the windshield of my Jeep that I reached for my sunglasses. And I just said, Lord, I thank you for light. The season that we're in is a season that some of you in this room struggle when this time rolls around every year because it is a time of depression and loneliness and pressure and family and expectations and what you're going to do when you sit down with these people that you really, if you tell the truth, you'd just really rather not. Now, I'm not, I've got family sitting here. I don't think that about mine, okay? I've got the most, I'm serious. I'm not trying to backpedal and I'm not, there's no hole to dig out of. I have the most amazing brother and sister-in-law and two of the grandest nephews on the planet. So the comment I just made has nothing to do with my family. I love my family. I'm crazy about my family. But let's just be honest. You know, you get together sometimes and other folk come. And I got to backpedal that. I too. I I love the folks that come to our place. Okay? I just... God knows my heart this morning. I'm serious. We're okay over there, aren't we? <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and the, the expectation of, you know, you, you, you got this list and, and what the kids are wanting and how that doesn't line up with what you're able to deliver sometimes. And especially if you've recently been a victim of this economy and you've been handed a pink slip instead of a bonus check. 
And some of us wrestle with depression in this season. It is the highest season. Let me tell you, there's, a, there's an incredibly high suicide rate during from about December the 1st to about February 28th because there's just this lack of light. And people, some people suffer from seasonal mood disorder and have to get under some bright light or get out in the sunshine. You know, it's amazing when you've been under a cloud cover for a period of time and the clouds break open and the light shines, how amazing you've got this fresh perspective and the world just looks new and you've got a whole new energy and a faith and, and, and an opportunity to say, hey, listen, I can defeat, defeat this thing and I, I can whip this enemy that's in my life. Sometimes all you just need is a fresh look. A fresh beam of light from the heavens, so to speak. For centuries, people have been longing. They've been looking for. The seed is coming, the seed is coming, the seed is coming. And then there is this extreme period of silence, what we call in the Bible the intertestamental period where there, there, there's just no prophet who's arising in any anointing to declare, saith the Lord to these people. And it's a bleak time. Clouds of darkness have gathered and it's thick and it just has rolled in like a dense fog. And in the middle of these circumstances, people are just going on about their ordinary everyday lives and, and religious people are conducting their affairs and there are Pharisees and there are Sadducees and everybody's still looking for God to fulfill his promise, but it hasn't happened yet. They're still hoping in the middle of this, God says it's time and it became a season of miracles and he sends, dispatches a messenger, sends an angel into a couple of people's lives, two different scenarios that are just so absolutely amazing. You wonder how in the world this story of this dual plot line is going to weave itself together because when you open Luke chapter 1, you find this amazing story of an old man and an old woman and then you read a few verses and there's this young 14-ish, 15-ish year old girl and both of these people have angelic visitations. Look at your neighbor and say, crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fine if you read about it in the Bible. But, you know, anybody comes and visits your house and says, well, an angel visited my bedside last night. You want to go, watch him. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's a season of miracles. Say it to your neighbor right now. Come on, neighbor. It's a season of miracles. Verses 5 through 25, we have Zechariah, an old priest, who's married to a, a sweet lady with a beautiful name, Elizabeth. That's, my, that's my, my baby girl's middle name, Abigail Elizabeth. Very, very special meaning. But she has lived her life, and there has been this cloud over her. When people speak of Elizabeth, they whisper the word, barren. Never has she been able to exercise her womanly gifting to take the seed of the husband and God weave together fearfully and wonderfully make a child and then deliver that child into the world. And she knows the pain of people saying, Elizabeth is barren. And she's lived long enough that really it's no, no longer any consequence. She's dealt with it. She's moved on. She's too old to think about it now. So there's really very little time. And any energy that's spent in terms of dreaming of a man-child or dreaming of being able to be a mom and hold a little baby and 
coddle that child and quiet and comfort him or her. Another entirely different scenario, we've got this young girl by the name of Mary who the Bible describes as a virgin. She's chaste. She's pure. She's never been with a man. We know the meaning of that word. We know the importance of that as it relates to Christianity, that we would have a Savior that would be born of a virgin. There is still, even in 21st century of America, where everything has been so utterly, extremely sexualized. Thank God there's a remnant of young women who basically say, I'm going to wait until God sends me Mr. Right. I'm not going to give myself to Mr. Right now. I I didn't get a good enough amen on that. How is it that the people in these two different situations, an old couple who basically have crossed the the time span of being hopeful into a hopelessness and a young girl who yet has her life in front of her. We we hear of, of of Zachariah who's described as a faithful priest who operates according to the time that he's supposed to serving in the temple at a specific time of year according to the priestly line of Abijah. When you read Luke chapter 1, Verses 5 through 25, it tells the story. And one day he's doing his priestly duties and an angel of God visits standing beside the golden altar of incense in the holy place right before you penetrate the veil and go into the holy of holies. And the angel of the Lord gives Zacharias some news and says, your wife Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And Zacharias gets pretty excited because he knows how that works. Y'all don't get so religious. How many of you know God knew what he was doing when he made man and woman? How many of you know it's a gift from God? I'm not going to be crass. But how many of you know you can rejoice in the gifts that God has given to us and the bliss and the wonder of, of, of marital intimacy is a gift from God. It's something we should be thankful for. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We shouldn't certainly objectify it and sell it the way our culture does. But it's something that so rarely is it ever talked about in church and people are ashamed of it and we wonder why, you know, kids go out here and we never talk about a blessed state of how we operate in our sexuality and then they go out here and learn it on the street and we wonder why they end up in the situation that they're in because preachers won't have the God-guided guts to stand up and put it in the proper context and when it's supposed to be in. I'm not going any farther with the conversation than that. You can just settle down. But how many of you know are thankful for what God's given? Come on, say amen. All the men in the room are starting to go say amen. <laughs> Dabs, you need to keep... People in two entirely different situations are going to be swept up into the drama of the ages. Number two... Second principle, God has a way of getting his message to you. Say it with me. God has a way of getting his message to you. Greek word agalos, we have the English word angel. And, and oh, it's just been so messed up in our thinking in terms of uh, these Renaissance Raphael fat babies with little bitty tiny wings. And you think of the story of the bumblebee that can't fly. Or it's just some other kind of Baroque or classical or uh, realism or impressionism, talking about art genres or surrealism, any of these different painting periods where they've tried to paint 
spiritual themes or the messengers of God uh, in any of these particular scenarios that we're referring to in the Bible. And a lot of times they're always these, you know, kind of a halo with a, a light bulb in the back of their head kind of a thing or these great massive wings. You know, it's, it's really a picture of a warrior, an angel from, from God. This great, huge, I mean, just ripped, muscled up, a sword that can reach from here to the, the new bridge and take it down. And, and, and so many times we have all of these different kinds of views. And really, really your, your, your picture of what the angel looked like doesn't even matter. But the angel came with a message. But what I want to tell you is too many times we think of angel in terms of those kind of nursery rhyme uh, little storybooks. Either a little fat baby with wings or it's a great, huge, white-dressed, winged kind of creature. And literally the Bible uses the word angel to be anybody who brings a message. In the book of Revelation, there are seven letters that are written to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Philadelphia, Pergasus, Pergamum, Thyatira, over and over and over. These seven churches, Laodicea. The angel of those churches is the messenger. Well, who's the messenger in every local church? It's the pastor. Didn't you know you're looking at an angel right here? <laughs> a little bit overweight, a little bit of gray around the edges. <laughs> Hello, Agalos. Greek word for angel. How many of you know that the messenger to the Lord or from the Lord in your life this morning, right now in this moment, the message that God is bringing, sometimes too many times we fail to hear the word that God wants to put into our lives because it doesn't come from a source that we expected to. Sometimes the agalos, sometimes the messenger in your life is that other person in the house with you who has the knowledge and the ability to push your buttons quicker and faster and harder than anybody else in the world can. Isn't it amazing how the voice of the Lord and through an angel can come through that precious thing that can tick you off faster than anybody on the planet? I'm talking about your spouse. It's amazing how God can be the voice within the voice and he can be the messenger and he can take on an angelic characteristic and speak through that little young unassuming child in your life because out of the mouth of babes God has ordained strength, Psalm 8.2. Sometimes kids can say the most amazing things and you look at them and you go, that wasn't my child. That was the Lord telling me something right there. Any of you care to admit you've had that happen? I have. God can use a billboard driving down the interstate. You can flip on the radio and it may not even have to be a pastor that's bringing a word that you know is a hot coal off of the altar of heaven and God drops it into your heart. Sometimes it can just come from the strangest sources. It can be a line out of a secular song that God can just cause to blaze up in you and you know that you've heard that you've heard that you've heard and you have direction. And of course, every one of those things always has to be checked by what the word has said. And that right there, let's just back up. Anytime you open the Bible and you open and the, off of those pages of black letters, black ink on white pages or red ink on white pages, God lifts something off and deposits a word down into your soul. You know that you know that you know that you know down in your knower that you've heard a word from God. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So God has a way of getting his message to you. Too many times we failed to give credence to it because it doesn't come from a source that we expect it to come from. God has this amazing way of blowing our minds and getting a message to us through unexpected areas. You know, as long as Jesus was a prophecy, 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees loved him, but because when he showed up, he came away they weren't expecting, they couldn't deal with it. Number three, principle number three, this thing is bigger than you. How many of you would agree with that? This whole thing we're involved in called the kingdom of God, this thing is bigger than any of us. Victory Church is bigger than my vision. It's bigger than the leadership of this house. It's bigger than all of us put together. It's, it's something that God is still moving and drawing and bringing people. This is a season of miracles in the Delta. And this is not the only place. Don't hear the wrong idea. God's moving in different churches in this area. And it's awesome because people are crying out and they're hungry for, this, for the presence and the move of the Spirit of God. This thing is bigger than you, but God intends to use you in his pro program and in his project. Say it with me. This thing is bigger than you, but God intends to use you. Come on, say it one more time. This thing is bigger than you, but God intends to use you. Sometimes people can wrap up in opposing views of the aboutness of the gospel. What is the gospel about? And let me just say this, it's so easy to flip on Christian television and you can get a really good dose quick of man-centered gospel where you start to think that it's all about your happiness and your health and your wealth and making basically just moves you to the center of everything. It's, it's, it's kind of a geocentric solar system where we used to live for thousands of years in history with the idea that the earth was the center of everything and the sun and the moon and all the other planets revolve around us. And it's so indicative of spiritual immaturity because when a baby is born into a family, every time he or she cries, mom or dad sticks a bottle in his mouth, cleans the backside, pats him on the back, burps him, does all the things that you do for her or for him to make him happy, to comfort her. But guess what? If you're still doing that when he's 21, you've raised a problem. <laughs> you know what? If, 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 he's, if you're potty training him uh, when he's two, two and a half, three years old, and, and, and you make it across that, praise God. But guess what? If you're still cleaning up after him when he's 21, you and he and everybody around you and he have a problem. Spiritual maturity means that we learn to move away from self-centeredness and we start to realize that the world doesn't revolve around us. Don't shout me down. It's good preaching right now. It does not revolve around me. Me, my, and mine. So as I grow, I start to realize this thing is bigger than me. But, amazingly so, God intends to use me in this, even though this thing is way bigger than I am. He's invited me to be a part of his story. And my story is being swept up into his bigger and his larger story. Sometimes we want to basically move from one extreme of the spectrum to the other where we see that what we're pursuing is a man-centeredness and so we run hard over here and we knee-jerk it and we end up in this thing where we basically say, it's not about you at all, it's all about Jesus. And I think instead of using these phrases where we're back and forth and we start to get an elitist idea where we think we have a corner on the gospel, let me just let you into a little secret right now. Anytime we individually or as a group or a denomination start to think that we have a corner on truth, it's the best sign that you don't. If you're a part of any group or a denomination or a church that tells you they're the only ones going to heaven, you better find yourself another place to go to church. Because somebody, when they do get there, if they do, are going to be shocked and surprised at how big the party that God has thrown. 
God's rush party for this kingdom eternity is so much bigger than you. This kingdom fraternity that he's invited you into is so much bigger than you can even imagine. It would boggle our minds. Out of every kindred, tribe, and tongue, out of every people and nation, out of every heritage, I believe there's going to be a little bit of smattering of everything, a smorgasbord when it comes to religious persuasion in the new heavens and the new earth. Don't shout me down. I believe it's about balance. Jesus is the center, and we are certainly peripheral to him. He is the center of everything. He's the center of history. History is his story. This thing is truly about him, but the amazing thing is that he's invited us into the story with him. Now, because I'm a part of the new creation, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And now as a new creation man, I am in Christ. Therefore, his larger story has written my story into it. It's this little bitty tiny subplot that for about 70 years or Four score, if by reason of strength that God has given me the privilege of being able to breathe air and live life on purpose for the sake of advancing his kingdom, right down here from 1960 to whenever because he's numbered my days. He knows how long I'm going to be here on the planet. It's truly about him, but we've been invited into him. I've become part of the family. I've been born again. He now is my elder brother, and I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. John 3, 3 says, you must be born again. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We were all born naturally, and we look like our grandfather Adam. But if you've been born again, your new identity is no longer in Adam. It's in Christ. Adam is dead, but Christ is alive. Can I have an amen? Amen. God is creator. We are creation. But there is something that sets us apart from the rest of the created order. Because even the psalmist said, what is man that you are mindful of him? God is creator. We are still creation. But there's something about your life that is different from the bugs and the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. Because you were stamped with the image of God and God said, let us make man and after our image and in our likeness, he created them and he made them male and female and God made you in his image and sin entered and the image was marred, but you still have the image of God in you, even though it's broken. So there's something distinct and powerful about your life. The Imago Dei is stamped into you. This story is all about Christ, but Christ isn't just head. Christ is also body. Jesus is the head of this body. The head is what runs the body. My brain in this this thick cranium right here holding all of this information is what's motivating this body. Every decision that I make to move that hand and raise the tone of my voice is coming from the head. But the body's in line. It's corresponding. This, I cannot say to my hands, I don't need them. The head cannot say to the feet, that's what keeps me in touch with earth. That's the generation that's alive on the planet right now. Jesus is the head, seated in the heavens. The head doesn't say to the feet, I don't need you. We watched an amazing video that Simona Blankenship did for us, taking pictures yesterday. Beautiful faces of children that were happy because they were given a coat to stay warm in the winter. 
She took the pictures and put it together in a beautiful slideshow set to the music of, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to show that you love them. I want to show that you love them. So the words of the song that are sung that were the background for that great video were all about what we are supposed to be. God, the Son, Jesus, is sitting in the heavens. He is the head of the body, but I'm looking at the body. I'm looking at the hands and looking at the feet this morning. Are you hearing me? We have a part. It's not about us, but it's still us has been invited into him. The story is about him, but we've been swept up into the drama of the ages. Now, meanwhile, back, back at these couple of visitations here that are absolutely so amazing, God sends an angel down into Zechariah's day-to-day routine and his priestly duties. And he's just carrying out, doing his everyday job, ministering before the presence of the Lord. And an angel of God appears beside the golden altar of incense and says, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth, who is old and stricken in years, is going to bear a son. And Zechariah gets pretty excited about it. He says, how can this thing be seeing how old we are? And the Bible says that the angel gave the message and said, you will be struck dumb. You will be silent until this one is born because you didn't believe in my heart, in your heart, that God could do this. So he goes home. Out of the obedience of the word of the Lord, in a very short amount of time, Elizabeth is in a state of expectation. Somewhere in the interim, another angel, I believe it's the same angel, the angel Gabriel, the the messenger of God, goes and visits a little young girl who's out there in the woods just having a good old time doing what 14, 15-year-old girls do. And she's greeted by this angelic warrior, the annunciator, this, this great proclaimer of the word of God. God has a way of getting his message to you, and he sends Gabriel to send a message to Mary and He basically says, fear not, because you're favored among women. And the hand of the Lord's on your life. And you're going to bear a seed. And I want you to listen to this. I want to read just very briefly from Luke chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord to Mary. The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The angel's quoting the prophecy from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I'm going to stop right there. Into these circumstances, an old man and an old woman who are too old to have children are given a promise. And by all cultural standards, a young girl is given a promise that she's going to have a baby. By all cultural standards, she's in the age where everybody says she's too young to have that happen to her. But I want you to see principle number four. I'm going to move quickly now. Number four, everybody say, age is never an excuse. 
You may be sitting here this morning under the sound of my voice and you may be feeling like you're on the Zachariah Elizabeth end where you're, you're, place, you're, you're beyond the place of hopefulness and you've really kind of just come to grips with, you know, what I had hoped would happen in my life has not happened. And the hope is gone. You've given up. You're tired. Your energies are focused. Your priorities have been redirected. And you're just basically saying, I want to live out the number of days that I have and at least be faithful to the, to the God I know who loves me. And I want to tell you this is the word of the Lord this morning. I sat in a, with coffee with a friend this week who is by no means a Zachariah in that level of age, but is a, a brother that's older. And I looked at him as the spirit of the Lord really rose up in my heart. And I said, I'm prophesying to you. I don't know whether you can believe in the gifting of that, to, but I'm telling you, I'm saying the, thus saith the Lord to you right now. It's not over. And just for 30 seconds or so, I just begin to say, thus saith the Lord into this brother's life who had come through a period of discouragement and was just wanting to know that God still had something for him to do. And in the very same way that I saw the light of God, just like that beam of light that came down to me right directly into the windshield of my car this morning as I was headed to church, it was like a, light, a ray of, 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 from the throne of God entered my brother's eyes and he just began to say, man, I hear that, I receive that. And some of you that are sitting this morning under the sound of my voice, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. I'm prophesying to you. It's not over till God says it's over. You're not too old. And some of you sitting here as well, you're more like on the other end. You're a young girl whose life is still so much in front of you that it didn't even say what she did. It just said she was a virgin. So you, you have like this beautiful, wonderful slate that is just hasn't been touched. And God says, I'm going to write uh, the story of your life that's absolutely going to amaze you. And you're going to be swept up into what becomes the center point of history. Now, can, can you take a second with me and think about what both of these scenarios are wrestling with? Zechariah comes home and says, hey, baby, uh, Elizabeth, I had an angelic visitation today. And she says, have you been hitting the communion wine? <laughs> All right, I tell you what, before I take too long on that, let me just fast forward to the other one. Can you imagine having a 14-year-old daughter who comes home and she's changed because something is just, there's no description for it and she's not talking. You, you, you can know that something has happened in her life and, 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 and she goes through days that become weeks and there's a lightness about her. There's, there's a spring in her step and there's joy in her heart, but yet there's something that you know that there's a secret thing that's going on in her life and then all of a sudden her clothes start getting too small and she starts to show. Can you imagine what daddy would say? Honey, baby, we got to have a conversation. I need to know his name. I've got my shotgun locked and loaded. Tell me, I, I, I got a story I'm going to write about. Now, 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 can you imagine with me what Mary's father was dealing with when she finally got courage to say, no, 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 daddy, unlocked the shotgun. It's not like that. It was an angel from God. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to hit you so far on that other side of that room. I'm telling you, you better tell me that Jake Legg's name because I'm going to deal with him. I don't want to hear about this. Is his name Angel? Oh, he's, he's an Angelo? Okay, well, I, I, tell me where he lives because I'm, no, no, daddy, it's an angel from God. And, and, and nobody touched me, daddy. It was just the word of the Lord that said the power of the Most High is going to overshadow me and that I'm going to birth the Son of God. And daddy says, baby, I'm sorry, I just can't get my head around this. This is the most outrageous, ludicrous. I told you I didn't want you hanging around those kids at school. Have you been taking something? I, I, I know that, that, that junior kid that, you, that you, you've been hanging around, he, he, you've been smoking something with him, hadn't you? 
Now, I hope I'm not offending you. I'm kind of trying to bring it up to date a little bit. You know what you would do if you were in this situation and your 14-year-old daughter was pregnant. Can you think for a second how you would deal with it if she said, no, no, daddy, it's not like that? An angel from the Lord told me. It's crazy because it's impossible. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. Somehow in the middle of this, she is unflinching. She does not give up. She does not just, you know, lose it and, and, and act out of disrespect. She just says, I'm telling you, Dad, it's going to be okay. And I think about the story that I heard about the girl who came home and was upset because she'd really done poorly and it was the end of the semester and she had a report card and she sits down with her parents and she looks at them and she says, I'm, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry I have some bad news, but I'm pregnant. Mom starts to cry. Dad's pacing the floor and he's angry going, tell me who it is. I got my shotgun loaded. I'm going to hurt him. And then the young girl basically backs up and says, no, really, that's not the case. I just wanted you to know that I just flunked my math class, but I wanted you to get it in perspective. (laughs) Do you realize that there is no perspective adjustment for Mary? There is nothing that she can say, oh, it's not as bad as you think it is. Because it's the most unbelievable, outrageous story that's ever been told. And yet we know that what was a hope for hundreds, yea, even millennia, starts to come into play when love reaches down and taps one person on the shoulder. And that story starts to change these two different scenarios, these people's lives, an old couple and a young girl. Number five. God often does a new thing. I love that DC Talk song that says, God is doing a new thing, new thing. Look at your neighbor and say, God is doing a new thing. (laughs) When God does a new thing, it will always change your life. Think about this. Come on, young couples, maybe old couples. You remember what it was like when you heard that your wife was expecting with the very first child that you guys were going to have and the clothes don't fit, which calls for new clothes. And the, the further along in the pregnancy that she gets, the comfortability factor is huge. You're getting pillows, you're propping up, you're running to the store. And it's amazing how when you get pregnant with a vision, how it starts moving things around in your life and it starts enlarging on the inside of you. It begins to captivate everything that is on your mind. Come on, somebody. I'm not just talking about a baby in a womb. I'm talking about you being pregnant with the vision of God for your life. Come on. God has planted the seed of expectation and hope in your life and love is going to bring that promise to pass. And it's amazing how when you start enlarging with that expectation and you're moving toward the season where you're going to deliver that promise, it's amazing how it starts making you crave things that you've never ever thought you would want before. Pickles and ice cream together. Pickles. Come on, y'all are from the south. Three o'clock in the morning, I, I need some fried catfish and I want some tapioca pudding. What? <laughs> Baby, I'm fresh out of both. Okay, now, 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 now let's leave the natural. Let's bump it over to the spiritual. You husbands, wives, men, women, every one of you, let's bump it out of this thing of talking about a natural womb and a natural baby. Let's talk about a spiritual pregnancy, a state of expectation. That's something even men can get into. You can be expectant with the promise of God in your life. 
And when it starts to grow inside of you, you start craving things that you've never, ever craved before. You have a whole new desires. It starts ordering your life. It starts making you move and do th- different things that you've ever done before. Number six, look at your neighbor and say, it's just best to submit and agree. Zacharias submitted by not speaking because of unbelief. Mary basically submitted, and this is what she said. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She submitted to the promise of God, and she agreed. Finally, number seven, and I'm finished. Those pregnant with the vision of God always manage to find others in the same state of expectation. It's amazing how when God plants something in your heart in the way of hope that's a seed that's going to birth something fresh, he will make sure that you get in the fellowship with somebody else who's in the same state of expectation. Now, I'll just be honest with you. There's a level of fellowship that pregnant women have that we guys just don't get. I mean, you, you, you understand all the feelings you're going through, how your bodies are changing, hormones that are up and down. I mean, you can look at your wife when she's pregnant and you can just look at her wrong and she bursts into tears. And at the same time, there's something about a glow about her that just takes on an angelic, divine kind of a imbuement of the presence of God. Because she's carrying something. She's not just hopeful, but she's about to deliver that hope. And when you, when you hear this last little passage here, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What am I saying to you? Two entirely different scenarios that you wouldn't think would have anything to do with each other. God takes an old woman who thinks she's too far beyond for the promise of God to be hers and he causes her to get expectant with John the Baptist and he takes a young girl who's too young to be involved and God lays on her little virgin heart the promise of carrying the Son of God that would change the world and when they came into contact with each other When Elizabeth in her ears heard the voice of Mary, John the Baptist leaped in his mother Elizabeth's womb. What am I saying to you this morning? What does that have to do with all of us men in the room? Ladies can understand, but men, I believe this is a picture of true biblical fellowship. When you get around somebody else that is expectant with the promise of God in his life or her life, and you hear them talk about and their testimony and how God has met them and they prayed and God delivered them and set them apart and provided for them in absolutely indescribably miraculous ways. Something on the inside of you leaps. The promise on the inside of you leaps and your faith grows and you know that you've gotten closer to the time of delivering the promise that God's planted in your spirit, sir, ma'am. I'm closing this message right now in this point. I'd like everybody in the room to bow your hearts with me and your heads with me, please. Let's close our eyes, and I just want to ask you this one question. Have you ever in your own life come to the place in your spiritual life where you have done what Mary did right here when she said, Behold, I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to your word. You know what? That's how the work of God begins. 
In the very same way that Mary said, how can this be seeing I know not a man? Seeing I'm a virgin? And the angel said, honey, you've answered your own question. This thing is a holy work of God. Same way it is with salvation. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing of man involved in it, period. Basically, God breathes into you his word and he says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth into your life, sir. Into your heart, ma'am. Brother, sister, young person. Promise of God. He's reaching to people in this room right now. And you know what? Just like the angel of the Lord came and visited Mary, I believe an angel of God is tapping some of you on the shoulder right now. And he says, I have a promise for you. You know how you enter into that promise? You do exactly what Mary did. You say, I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to your word. Let it be to me. You just simply submit and agree. You agree with the word that says, Father, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Save me, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, change me. I believe there's somebody sitting under the sound of my voice this morning that you've taken that step. You've heard the angel of God. God has a way of getting his message to you. And you've heard that his promise is not about an age. It's not about how old you are or how young you are. Nobody looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just want to ask you, if you want to be included in this prayer right now, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody in this room? Yes. I see one over here. Yes. A couple more. Thank you. Thank you, Billy, for pointing them out. Yes, one over here on this window wall. Anybody? Yes, in the middle. I see you. Thank you for your hand. Yes. Several. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Believers right now, you've been walking with the Lord for years. Maybe you're battling some of the stuff that I talked about. You know that Jesus is your personal Savior and Lord. But you're underneath a heavy fog of depression and loneliness. You know that God has delivered you. You know his hand is on your life. And you've heard a word today that's brought a fresh breath of encouragement to you, a fresh faith. Some of you, I believe, just need to take another step and just say, God, thank you for renewing the promise that you've given to me that I'm not too old, I'm not too young. Age is not an excuse ever. Anybody in the room, you've been touched by this and you're just asking the Lord just to seal this word in your life, just slip up your hands. Yes, all over the room. Thank you. I see those.